Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. As a church, we've been reading through the Bible. Our goal is to read through the entire Bible as a church in one year. And we've been doing that now. We started in January. And at this point now, we've read through the first five books of the Bible called the Torah or the Pentateuch. And then we've also read the book of Job and the book of Joshua. We just finished that. And we have now just jumped into book of Judges, to the book of Judges, which is an awesome book. And uh, don't give away my points already. You didn't see that. Uh, we're going to be jumping into the book of Judges, which I think is an it's amazing book. It's, a, it's a, a book that reveals to us something about the nature and the character of the people of God and, uh, and the nature and character of God himself. And we're going to be reading out of that this morning. And uh, we're going to be reading out of Judges chapter 2. And maybe you're thinking this morning, but Pastor, today is Easter. Why are you reading out of an Old Testament book? We should be reading out of the Gospels. What's wrong with you? And maybe you're right. Maybe there's something seriously wrong with me. But I, uh, I, I believe, I'm a firm believer, that all of Scripture points to Jesus. All of Scripture points to Jesus. That's not to say that all of Scripture is about him. Not You're going to read a story and be like, oh, Jesus is there, Jesus is there. But everything is going to be pointing us to him. And I believe that in the book of Judges, there are texts here that tell us about who Jesus is and about uh, that our, our need for him and our desire for him and we're going to be looking at that today. So we're going to be getting to the resurrection story in a moment. But first, we're starting in the book of Judges. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Judges chapter 2, if you have a smartphone and you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can open that app right now. And it has all the text there for you. It has questions that we use for our community groups. Uh, and so it's a great resource for you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We also will have the scripture on the screen behind me. Before uh, or As you turn there... Let's bow and pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning asking that you would speak to us. Speak to us through your holy word today. God, we submit our lives to the authority of your word. We believe that it is alive and well and that it speaks to us and continue to speak. Open our ears to hear what you have to say. Open our eyes to see it. Make our hearts soft to receive it, Lord. God, we are here not because... It's another Sunday, but because we want to encounter you. Whether we were invited or we came reluctantly, Lord, we believe that you can touch every heart. And so we ask that you would do it now. We love you, Lord. We submit to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 7, says this, The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. This generation had seen all the miraculous works that God had done in Egypt, that what he had done for them in the wilderness. And then it says in verse 8 that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And then he was buried within the, the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Ares, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for them, that he had done for Israel. 
In verse 11, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. They bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. That's the word of the Lord for us today. I want to remind you before I get in, uh, for some of you, we do have nursery available for two and under if you would like to take your babies there. But you are more than welcome to hang out. No problem there. Uh, we just want to let you know that is an option because we, uh, we didn't have that available, but now we, we do. So thank you, Lord, uh, for volunteers and people who are serving in that area. But I want to talk about what's going on in this text that we just talked about. Because uh, we have to under, uh, understand what's, what's happening here. So the people of God have now entered into their promised land. So if you've been reading the Bible with us, you understand that... Uh, that the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been promised a land flowing with milk and honey. He said that your descendants would inherit this land. And for 400 years from that point, they were in Egypt as slaves. And God sent Moses as a deliverer to bring them out. And he had the plagues against Pharaoh to release his people. He said, Pharaoh, let my people go. And they, they, they're released. They go through the Red Sea on dry ground. They see all these tremendous things. They get right up to the promised land. They send in some spies. The spies come back. Ten of the 12 of them are like, we can't do it. They don't believe that God can do it for them. And so uh, because of their rebellion and rejection of what God can do, they have to wander in the wilderness for another 40 years until that generation passes off and the new generation rises up. And this new generation is the generation that Joshua is leading. And then they go into the promise. They cross over the Jordan on dry ground again, and they start taking the land that God had promised them. And this generation that had walked with Joshua, these elders, they had seen tremendous things and acts of God as well. They had seen miraculous signs and wonders. Like I said, they walked across the Jordan on dry ground at the Jordan River. They had uh, seen the walls of Jericho come tumbling down without them even touching, touching the wall at all. They had, in one battle, the sun, the Bible says, stood still while they continued to fight to win the battle so that the sun would not set and they would lose the battle. They saw their enemies as they were chasing the enemies of God. That as they were chasing after them, it says that a giant hell stones came from the sky and were destroying people. They seen some tremendous things. They saw that God had fulfilled his promise to give them this land as their inheritance. But now a new generation has, has come up on the scene and they don't know God. They don't know his miracles. Uh, they don't know what he's done for the people of Israel. And as I read that, I had to ask myself, how can that be? How can it be that in just one generation... Can a group of people lose their knowledge and connection with God who had delivered them from slavery, who had provided for them in the wilderness, who had done tremendous acts of power? How from one generation to the next? I mean, that's pretty powerful. From, imagine if, if your parents were in slavery and a God, came, God came and delivered them in the ne your very next generation. You're like, uh, who is this God that you're talking about? I have no clue. How is that possible? Well, this morning I want to answer that question, and I think there are three options for us of, of explaining how, how a generation that goes from knowing God to a generation that has no clue about him, doesn't know his character, doesn't know who he is or what he can do. And I think the first one, the first option for us this morning is that that generation before them did not do what God had commanded them to do in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is written by Moses, and it's his last uh, telling of the law and the commands of God, the statutes and the rules 
right before he dies, and he's writing these things out, and he tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 7, he says, and you shall teach them, them being the rules, the statutes, and the commands of God. He says, teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk, to them, talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall, uh, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house. And on your gates. What is he saying? He's saying, whatever you do, wherever you go, whatever you find yourself doing, always talk about what God has done for you. Always tell people with the goodness of God how he brought you out of sin and slavery and brought you to a promise. And that's what he's telling the people. And so maybe, possibly, the generation before them didn't keep this command of the Lord and they didn't teach their children and their children's children about the commands, rules, and statutes of God. They didn't teach them about his character and his nature. Maybe they failed to pass it on. And I, I think that's a real possibility. I think it's a real possibility because I think that they were so busy taking a hold of the promise of God, the promised land that he had given them, that they failed to teach their children about the God of the promise. And how can I think that that's a reality? Because it still happens today. It still happens today. There, there are some people, even in, especially in ministry, who are so wrapped up in doing works for God that they forget to teach their children about the Word of God. And it's a very sad reality and a sad truth that you see pastors and leaders who are out doing tremendous works for God and their children are living like hell. Because, because there's a disconnect between, between what you do for God and how you live for God. And how you serve God, how you love God. And there's a breakdown between it. And I've seen it. It's this very sad truth. And we need to be praying for pastors and their families and their children especially. And if you could pray for mine, they need it extra because I'm their daddy. <laughs> but but these are real, this is a real possibility. And you know, when people get busy doing life and doing things in life, we forget sometimes what's most important in life. We forget about the importance of family and being together and loving one another. And especially if we think that the word of God is the most important thing, sometimes we forget to pass it on to the next generation because we're too busy doing something. We're too busy caught up. And maybe that generation that had, had gone into the promise got so caught up with the promise that they forgot the God of the promise. And Moses said this was a probably a, or this is a real possibility because he later on in, in that same chapter in verse 10, he says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. He's telling them, look, you're going to be so blessed that there's a possibility that you're going to be blinded by your blessing and you think that life is about the blessing than the one who gives the blessing. He's saying, don't get caught up in all of these things and all this material stuff. and Don't be so consumed with what you have and what you can get that you, forgive, you forget the one who gave it to you. Isn't that interesting how that happens? It happens in our lives today, doesn't it? Can we be honest and say that there are times that we get so consumed with what we have and what we want, that we live our lives as if, as if there is no God who, who gives us the blessing. We get so wrapped up in what we can do for ourselves and earn for ourselves and achieve for ourselves that we forget that, 
that we can do nothing apart from him. We live in such a consumeristic, materialistic society that we can so easily get wrapped up in the next best thing. And we forget about what matters most, about the God who blessed us with life, with love, with family. So maybe this earlier generation didn't tell the next generation about the truth of God. And so the new generation, they didn't know because they weren't told. What's interesting about that is just because they weren't told didn't mean that they were not guilty when it came to the rules and statutes that God had given them. I think it's interesting that just because you don't know a law doesn't mean that if you break it, you're still innocent. Because I've tried that on cops who pulled me over before. I didn't know that the speed limit was 55. Am I right, Charles? <laughs> Charles just, just became a police officer, and we're so excited for you. And uh, give me one of those stickers I can put on my bumper. But just because you don't, you, you claim ignorance about it doesn't mean that if you break it, you're innocent, right? And God was saying, you need to teach your children because these are the rules and statutes about what it means to be in right relationship with me. And if they get out of that, then they're no longer under my covering and they fall into judgment. And I don't want to, ju I don't want to have to judge their sin because he's a righteous God and a righteous God cannot allow sin to continue. And he says, I want them to come under my covering and my protection. But if you don't teach them, they're not, they're not protected and they're going to come under judgment. And for some reason, perhaps that first generation didn't communicate to the next generation about what God had required. That's one option. And maybe another option is that, so the first option is they didn't want to know, or they didn't know. The next option is they didn't want to know. Option two is they just didn't want to know. Because in the same chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses, in chapter 6, verses 20 through 25, says, look, when your children come to you and begin to ask you about these rules and these commands and these statutes and these, these testimonies that we have built as a remembrance of what God has done for us, tell them about the goodness of God. Tell them that he delivered you, that he set you free, that he provided for you, that he walks with you, that he wants right relationship with you. Tell them about it. But maybe... They just didn't ask. Maybe they didn't want to know. And if that's the case, then I have to ask myself, what would cause them to want something other than, the, than to know the one true God? What would be something that would draw them and, and allure them away from the one true God to serve other gods? Because this is what they says. They provoked God to anger because they began to serve other gods and so I wanted to look at what were the false gods that they were worshiping in that moment. And so let's look at those. The first one that is named is called Baal. And this false god was considered a god of the weather. And in an agrarian culture, or a culture that's driven predominantly by agriculture, much like our own, favorable weather means provision and it means abundance. Like we, we understand that as a farming community, that when we have good weather and we produce good crops, we have more of it, we, we have more to go around, There's, uh, people can 
earn more money and there's, there's, a, there's a more provision there. And in this culture, if they, they said, look, I can be successful. I can gain wealth. I can gain all these things from, from worshiping this God without these requirements and these rules and all the stuff I got to do that God says I have to do. If I can get what I want and don't have to do all of that, maybe I'll do that instead. Maybe I'll pursue after that so that I can be successful and I can get what I want. I can make more money. I can have all the things that I need. So perhaps they thought, look, if we worship this God of the weather, he'll give us better crops and a better harvest and more to eat, more to sell, more to make, and a better life. This is a false belief that if they served this God, they would get everything they wanted without costing them anything. And maybe the appeal to worship this type of God, a God that gives you what you want, success and wealth, drew them away from the one true God. The other false god that is mentioned in the text is this false god called Astaroth. And this, this was a goddess of fertility, love, and war. And the worship of this false god was explicitly sexual in nature. And, and I, I think it's possible that these gods of success and wealth and lust and sex drew them away from the one true God because they could get what they wanted when they wanted it rather than having to walk in relationship with the one true God who said, if you want to be in relationship with me, that there are certain things required of you. And it was easier to say, no, we want what we want now rather than having to serve this God who demands things of us who says this is what it looks like to be in right relationship, who says I have to love my neighbor. These other gods don't say I have to do that. They just say I have to sacrifice this or kill that or burn this, and I get to have whatever I want. I don't have to love people. I don't have to treat people fairly. I can, I can have my cake and eat it too. And so there was something that was drawing them away from the one true God. And I think that's a real possibility. Because I can see it happening today. I see people who are chasing after sex and money and power and willing to do whatever it takes to get what they want. And it's in opposition to what God says. God says, if you want to be in right relationship with me, love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. you got to love people and you got to love God. But there are so many people who are for themselves only, and they want to get what they want to get. And their desires and, their, and their, uh, their own passions drive them to get more for themselves. And perhaps this generation didn't want to know about God and about what he could do because they wanted to get for themselves first. And maybe the third option, maybe the first option is they, they just didn't know. Second option is they didn't want to know. The third option, maybe they didn't believe the generation before them. I'm not sure if there was a common practice to reject the wisdom of the generation before it like it is today, but I could understand it. I mean, we do that now. The, the wisdom of the generation that came before us as younger people, we think they don't know what they're talking about. How can they give me wisdom? They don't even know how to turn their phones on. How can they give me wisdom? They don't know how to search for anything. They call it the Facebook. How can I listen to a generation who says that? 
Sometimes we, we have this in our mindset that the generation before us didn't fully know everything, that they were ignorant of so many things and how they lived their lives was even in ignorance. And so sometimes we can throw out any wisdom or anything that they would share with us. Come on, as children, we do that with our parents. My par- Why are my parents always trying to tell me what to do? They don't know. They don't know what it's like to be a teenager. They've never lived as a teenager before. They were born and became adults immediately. How can they tell me what to do? Why can they try to give me advice? Come on, somebody. I'm not the only one. My parents are in the room, and I'm telling them right now I didn't listen to them. We, we have this mindset. We have this allure that we always want the new because the old isn't good enough. That's why last year's iPhone is trash compared to this year's iPhone. It's why those pixels were just not enough in the camera. That we need greater and bigger and better and faster and newer. And we let go of the old because we think it's just not good enough. And maybe that generation that had stepped into the promise and were living a life of comfort and ease, living in homes they didn't build, drinking from waters from wells they didn't dig, eating the fruit from the plants they didn't plant. And maybe they got so comfortable saying, why do we need to listen to these people when we're living a life of ease and comfort? Let us do what we want to do. And they threw it out. And this typically happens, too, because, look, can we be honest? Sometimes the generations before us did things that were not right. We think about, we think about stuff that happened in our culture and in our society that we thought, how did this generation before us allow that to happen? What was wrong with them? But the danger sometimes when we look at the wrongs that the generations did before us, we also negate the fact that they did some things right. And we typically will throw out the good with the bad and say we don't want any of it. The problem is there's a saying that says don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Anybody heard that before? Those of you who've heard that probably didn't have indoor plumbing. Because when you're giving your baby a bath and you don't have indoor plumbing, you'd have to throw the water out. That's what the idea is. And you say, where'd the baby go? I don't know. The water was dirty. I threw the, I threw the, oh, I threw the baby out with the bathwater? Oh, my bad. Let's go find the baby, right? So what the idea is, sometimes when we reject what the generation before us did, we reject everything when there actually is some good things for them to teach. And perhaps this generation, living in the promise and living in comfort and ease, rejected the words from the generation before them. So all three of these options are possible, and maybe there's a combination of them. Maybe the generation before them didn't effectively communicate the goodness of God, uh, or maybe at all. Maybe the, the, the new generation just didn't want to know because they didn't want to know the God who delivered them from the past because there was requirements and statutes that they had to live by, and they didn't want to do that. They wanted to live how they wanted to live, and they wanted to get what they wanted to get, and they wanted to satisfy what they wanted to satisfy, and Knowing about God and his rules and what he desired for them got in the way of their own satisfaction. So maybe they said, we don't want that. It's easier for us to live how we want to live. Or maybe they didn't want to believe. Maybe they didn't believe them at all. Maybe they wanted to put their trust in what they could see and what they could feel and what they could touch. So whatever the reason was for them not turning to God, ultimately it left them in opposition to God and open to his judgment because they came out from his covering of protection and out from his relationship. And all throughout the book of Judges, as we read read and we're continuing to read as we finish up the book, 
we see that they continue to fall under judgment and they cry out for help and then God sends them a deliverer who he called a judge who would lead them. But ultimately, when that judge or that leader would die, they would go back into that same cycle of sin and judgment and crying out for deliverance and God would continue to send a deliverer because he loved them. So maybe you're asking this morning, okay, that's wonderful, but why are you preaching about this on Easter Sunday? What does this have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? Because I think that the story of this generation that fell away from God is similar to the stories of why some of us don't follow him. This morning, maybe you've never committed your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never become a follower of his because no one ever told you about him. Maybe no one ever told you how much he loves you, how much he cares for you. How he, he, he says that you're so valuable and you're worth so much that he was willing to give up his life so that you could be in right relationship with him. Maybe you didn't understand that, that it was our sin that sent him to the cross and he received the punishment for our sin in his own body so that he could offer us forgiveness and that our sin could be washed away and we could be in right relationship with him. Maybe you didn't know that because God is a holy God that our sin would separate us from him. But he desires such a close relationship with us. He said, there has to be, who will go and to bring them back into relationship? And Jesus said, I will go and I'll lay my life down because he was sinless and perfect and he was, a, he was the, the solution to our problem. And maybe you didn't know that he was the solution to your problem and you've been trying to figure out how to solve your own problems and you keep running into the same walls and the same broken stuff and you are wondering, when is this cycle ever going to end? How will I ever get free? And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is the solution to your problem and he's the one who is, who is able to set you free. Maybe you're here this morning, you didn't know that he loves you. You thought that maybe he's just an angry God with a big stick ready to smack you across the face when you mess up. And that's just not the truth. He loves you. He loves you so much that he died for you. He was whipped and beaten for you. Receiving in his body the punishment that we deserve. But this morning, I hope that you would hear me when I say that he loves you and he desires to have a relationship with you. And now that you know, then it caused a response in you. He would say, would you respond to my love this morning? Respond that I, I love you, that I see you. When you think no one else sees you, no one else hears you, no one else fully knows you, God knows you more intimately than you even know yourself. And if you feel isolated and alone or misunderstood, God understands you and knows you and can speak directly to you. He loves you. And don't allow people to define your worth who didn't die for you. Allow the one who died for you to define your worth, and he defines it in his death, that you're worth so much that he was willing to die to pay the price for you. Maybe you're like the second option, and maybe you don't want to know, and you're sitting here saying, don't say it. Don't say it. I don't want to know. I just came here because my family said I got to be there on Easter Sunday. Don't tell me. Maybe you're in your head right now going, la, 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 la. Uh-oh. Maybe 
it would be easier for you to claim ignorance or pretend that this statement that we're making about Jesus rising from the dead is not the most important thing that happened in all of human history. Maybe it's easier to say, that's nice for you to believe, but that's not for me. Let me believe, let me believe my truth. Can I tell you, there is a truth that goes higher than your truth. The truth that there is a God, that, 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 he, that he does love you, that he did create you for a purpose, and that his truth trumps yours. There is this truth that Jesus is the Son of God and that he did do what he said he was going to do. And that if you would put your hope and trust in him, that he would wash you clean, that he would forgive you of your sin, that he would give you new life and a new hope and new purpose, new joy and peace and forgiveness and love that you would encounter in him this morning. But maybe this morning you find yourself more interested in what you can get out of this life for yourself. Maybe you've been so wrapped up and so consumed in yourself and all you can see is your own desires and your own passions and your own wants, that that's all that fills your mind up. But just like the false gods of the Old Testament that promised everything and delivered nothing, this world will leave you empty and unfulfilled. And no matter how much you go chasing after uh, material things or relationships or whatever you can get your hands on, those things will not ultimately fill the hole of your heart. And they will not satisfy your soul because only the creator can do that in the creation. And so this morning you have to wrestle with this understanding that I can no longer plead ignorance as innocence. I have to understand that there is a God, that he did die for me and he did rise from the dead. Now what will I do with it? Because Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, what does it profit a man or a woman if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? What will it profit you to have all the wealth and all the stuff, all the success, everybody loving, all the followers, if you want to be an influencer on social media, what will that gain you? It will still leave you empty and alone and isolated and broken. Because the only way you can find true healing and health is in Jesus. Only Jesus can satisfy the deep longings of your soul. Only Jesus can do it. And no matter what you try to do to run away from that truth or numb your pain or, or try to fill your mind with other things, I pray that this word would haunt you until you recognize who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Only Jesus can do what you need him to do. And he has the authority to do it because he rose from the grave. If he stayed in the tomb, there would be no Christianity. There would be no purpose for gathering. There would be no hope for a better tomorrow if he stayed dead. But because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, our pain is gone. Because he lives, we have hope for a brighter future. And my challenge would be that you should not be consumed with this life, but to look closely at what Jesus said and what he did and put your hope in him today. Because he is the only thing that can truly satisfy you. Maybe you're not like the first two options. Maybe you knew and maybe you don't really care to know. Maybe you're like option three, you just don't believe. 
Maybe the claim of the resurrection is too unbelievable for you. Maybe you're like Esqueleto in Nacho Libre, who would say, I believe in science. <laughs> and maybe you would say, there's just not enough evidence. There's not enough evidence for me to believe such a radical claim. Maybe the only thing you believe in is energy and matter, and there's nothing beyond this life. But I would suggest that you look at the evidence. Because there is evidence of Jesus rising from the dead. It's found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are eyewitness accounts of what they saw and what they heard. And in fact, it is, the most, it is a, a historical fact that is, is preserved with the most uh, documentation of any, any event that happened in ancient history. More than Genghis Khan or... Alexander the Great or the Roman emperors who we all know existed. And we have like Herodotus and other historians that wrote in that time. But what we see in scripture is that the number of the texts and documentation and transcripts of the gospels that were eyewitness accounts far exceeds anything that we have from antiquity or ancient times. So much so that when we read about Alexander the Great, maybe there might be 20 copies of what he's done. But as we read about Scripture and ancient texts that have been found, over 5,300 texts show that Jesus rose from the dead. There is historical evidence. And history is a, a legitimate form of knowledge. If not, then when you go to college, you should not take a history class or pay for it. Right? But they teach it because it is a way of understanding our past and what happened. So historical knowledge is legitimate as evidence of what happened before we got here. And this is the evidence that we read in Scripture. See, Jesus did claim to be God. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God in the Bible. John chapter 10, John, who was an eyewitness, a disciple of Jesus, said in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He said, God is the Father and I am one. He's saying, I am God. With the Father and the Spirit. Jesus claimed to be God. We know that he lived a sinless life. 1 Peter 2.22 says this. That Jesus lived a sinless life. He made no errors. In everything he did he pleased the Father. That's sinless. He died a physical death on the cross. John chapter 19 talks about this. That there was, there was some teaching back in the day that Jesus just fell asleep. I don't know about you but you take 39 lashings when it rips your flesh off. Then you get nailed to a cross. And then they run a spear in your side and you just say, I'm sleeping. Hit the snooze, I'm resting. No, he died. How do we know that? We know that as they pierced his side, it says that blood and water flowed out. We understand now because of science that he had a cardiac arrest. And that's what happens when uh, fluid goes around the heart. And as they punctured his heart through his side, that serum, that bloody water serum flowed out of him. And it tells us we know that he died. It's a historical fact. He was dead. But then John tells us in John chapter 20 that he was buried, but then he rose again. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, not only did his disciples see him, but over 500 people witnessed him, saw him walking on the earth, listening to his words and his teaching. Over 500 in that time was significant as evidence of what he had done. And he ascended to heaven and he will come back again. This is what scripture tells us and it's evidence for us. 
it's evidence enough to say, I need to look at this Jesus once more. I need to know who this Jesus is. If nothing else, this one individual affected history from forevermore from the time he walked on the earth. And for that fact alone, you need to look into him and see what he has to say. Maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, that's a biased opinion. These people uh, were followers of Jesus. They wanted him to be God. They had invested three years of their life into following him, and when he died, it, was just been so, it should have been so devastating. They, just, they had to make something up because of all these claims he did, and then he died, and they just made it all up. But they tell us in their own words, in their own testimonies, that they abandoned him at the cross and that they were hiding in fear because they thought they were going to be killed too. I don't know, uh, but if you were going to lie about something like this, wouldn't you have painted yourself in a better light than to being a hiding coward and a deserter of the one who said he loved you? I don't know about you, but if I had written this and was telling the story and I decided to embellish and lie about it, I'd be like, everybody else deserted him, but not this guy. I was the strongest, most wise, and handsomest disciple, and I was like, nah, I'm not leaving. And I stood strong. No, but they were honest about the fact that they were cowards and they were in hiding, and they thought they were going to die, and they were hiding behind closed doors, and they went back to their lives because they thought it was all over. But after three days, something changed. After three days, Something changed. Why? Why were they willing to die for something if they, if they made it up in the first place? We understand that people are willing to die for what they believe in. Right? That's why we have soldiers that go to war to protect, the, 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 to protect our country, to die for what we believe in, our freedoms. We understand that. People die for what they believe in all the time. But psychology would tell us that people are not willing to die for what they know is, is a lie. People are not willing to die for something they made up themselves. People are not willing to be tortured to death and hung upside down on a cross for what they know to be a lie. Psychology says people will not do that because our, our desire to preserve our lives is greater than for us to protect a lie that we know is a lie. And so for these disciples... If they made it all up, they would not have allowed themselves to be tortured. In those moments of torture, they would have said, you know what? Never mind. I made it up. Don't kill me. I made it up. But they didn't do that. Why? Because they saw what they saw. They heard what they heard. They saw him. They touched him. They walked with him. These disciples saw Jesus risen from the dead, who just three days previously were hiding in fear, who had abandoned him, and now they were willing to die for what they saw and heard. That's evidence to me. That's evidence for us to believe. And we now know this Jesus because of their testimony, because of the Spirit of God that empowered them to write the words that we now have as Holy Scripture that reveals to us who Jesus is. And now I stand before you this morning as a witness to you about the validity of the claim that Jesus, not only did he die, was he buried, but he also rose from the dead, and he is the Son of God. 
Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to CB.